Kirby. Dick Morris takes you inside the back room of politics. Daredevil Pete's from the amazing Savitsky Cats. And the legendary Lee Greenwood performs. That's Trey Corley at the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbert. And now, here's Mike Huckabee. Thank you very much. Thank you. What a great audience. And boy, have we got a great show for you tonight. I am glad that you are tuning in because you will be glad that you did. Trust me on this. Don't miss a moment. All right, well, it's said that news is the first draft of history. But given how biased, one-sided, and disgustingly free of fact some of the news in the modern world is, it's more like fake news, I'm increasingly distrusting of what calls itself news. And frankly, I'd rather wait on history, given that it's going to have some perspective of time and objectivity of those who write it. Now today, anti-Semitism, our hatred of Jews and a desire to see Israel destroyed, is coming back with a vengeance. And it's now being led by prominent left-wing politicians. And several leading Democrat politicians and presidential candidates are openly supporting anti-Semitism. I've just returned from my fifth trip to Poland, and you're going to see my interview with the Prime Minister a little later in the show. But one of my reasons for being there was to take part in a ceremony to pay respect to Polish Christians who risked their lives to save Jews during the Holocaust. Poland was the first country that the Nazis invaded in 1939. And what the Germans did to the Polish people, both Christian and Jew, left an ugly stain on humanity. While undoubtedly not every Pole was a hero, and some unfortunately cooperated with the invading Nazis to save their own skin, there were not only many Polish Christians who were savagely murdered by the Germans, but many others who were part of the resistance and risked their own lives and those of their very own families to save Jews who were specifically targeted by Hitler for annihilation. Now, the stories behind these until now unsung and mostly unknown heroes were the basis of the recognition given to them as righteous among the nations for the nonprofit foundation from the depths. It's led by a young British-born Israeli Jew named Johnny Daniels. By the way, one of the ladies honored was 106 years old, who during the war hit a young Jewish woman in her home. Another, a 99-year-old man who saved 53 Jews who as a result of surviving went on to create ongoing generations of children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. I visited a farm near Radon, Poland, where a family living in a modest farmhouse hid four little Jewish girls under secret slats in their kitchen until the local mayor disclosed their deed to the Germans who proceeded to take not just the four Jewish children, but the entire family of 10 people behind their barn and shoot them all in cold blood. One of the family's sons who wasn't at home at the time lost his whole family. But he was able after the war to keep the farm in the family to this day. Now it is still a small, modest farm where a mother and her adult son do their best to make a living. But they are the remaining remnants of a family who deserve for their story of heroism to be kept alive. I visited the Nazi death camp at Medenik near Lublin, Poland. I was rocked to my core, just as I had been on three previous visits to Auschwitz. When I visited and viewed the barracks, the guard towers, most tragically, the massive crematoriums where hundreds of thousands of Jews were gassed and their bodies burned. Now it's important that these places remain open and that they remain like they were 70 years ago so that future generations will never forget the atrocities. The only explanation for the brutality of the Holocaust is pure godless evil. There's those who carried out such despicable acts against innocent babies and children, men and women. They weren't just sick. They were evil to the core. 
I mean, look, we live in a mean and hateful world where people often take out their deep-rooted anger and bitterness toward others in some violent acts. But we should all warn ourselves that blind bigotry and hate can lead to sins that are so unspeakable that many have sought to actually deny they ever happened. The more history written and the more known about this period, the more we can hope that we don't ever allow it to happen again. But we should not only remember the heinous behavior of Satan's agents, but we should never forget the acts of selfless love as ordinary people took extraordinary risks to save others in their communities. These folks were the agents of God and his love. Today, the Nazis have no power anywhere, and the very mention of Hitler is not made kindly by any sane person. But we continue to learn of, herald, and honor those who truly were light in the darkness. Well, you know my first guest is a famous political strategist, an author and commentator. His must-read new book called Fifty Shades of Politics is filled with inside stories from his decades at the highest levels of power at the White House and all over the world. Now, full disclosure, Bill Clinton wasn't the only political figure from Hope, Arkansas that he worked with. The other was me. Would you please welcome my friend Dick Morris. Welcome. Good to I have moved you up in the world from Bill Clinton to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to think so. Yeah. What an interesting career. You know, I loved your, your monologue about mm. the Holocaust. Um, the first, one of the stories in my book, Fifty Shades, that's kind of autobiographic about my life, was that I was hired by Bibi Netanyahu to work in his campaign mm. to help get him elected. And when he greeted me, I began to tell him how great I was. And he said, no, nah, I know all that. Huh. I just have one thing to tell you. It's 1938. Hmm. And I just stood there, 1938, the last chance to huh. stop the Holocaust, wow. the beginning of the Holocaust. And he meant Iran was getting the bomb yes. and that this would be the Holocaust. And he explained that one nuclear missile in Tel Aviv would kill, oh, Six million Jews, a nice yeah. round figure. At one time. Yeah, but the same as died in the Holocaust. Yeah. And uh, was just incredible, unbelievable. In your book, Fifty Shades of Politics, and one of the things that I find most fascinating, you talk about the fact that you have moved rather comfortably and seamlessly from blue to red to purple. Well, blue to purple to red. When I was a kid, I was a staunch left-wing Democrat. Then I became purple when I worked for Bill as president, but also for Trent Lott, the leader of the Republicans in the Senate. Mm -hmm. It was the last time we had bipartisanship in this country. And then I continued my progression to red, which I am today. But, but let's talk about the fact that there was a time, <laughs> the audience likes that, but Dick, there was a time when Republicans and Democrats successfully worked together. It wasn't that they quit being Democrats or Republicans. They were who they were. They had convictions and had beliefs and they had policies they wanted to enact. But they were also pragmatists. Bill Clinton was a pragmatic president. I will be the first to yep. say that. With whatever flaws he has, he had that. And then Newt Gingrich and a lot of the Republicans, Trent Lott and others, yeah. they were pragmatists. They knew that politics is the art of what you can get done, not the art yeah. of what you would wish you could get done. Well, Why don't we have that today? I told the president, Clinton, that he was facing a very tough fight for re-election mm -hmm. and would probably lose unless he could actually make real accomplishments for the American people. And at the same time, Trent and Newt had been through the government shutdown the previous Christmas. Sure. And everybody was blaming them and down on them and dumping on them. And I said, you guys are going to lose Congress unless you can make real achievements. And I said, you have to realize you're not Democrats or Republicans, you're incumbents. Yeah. And before you're in either party, you're in office. And you got to produce stuff. And then as a result of that, we passed welfare reform, we balanced the budget for four years, we raised the minimum wage, the COBRA program, mm -hmm. take your health insurance with you, we passed. Uh, here's my question. Why don't we have that now? Well, 
I think the major reason is that people, that the political establishment is so focused on winning the primaries, winning the nomination, keeping control of their, their vote, that the idea that they would serve the people by compromise uh, is, just, uh, is just anathema to them. But I think that what's going on now is I think the Democratic Party is going crazy to the left. Um, it's historically true, Mike. Whenever a conservative beats a liberal, the liberal party always moves to the left. You'd think they'd move to the center, yeah. learn their lesson, but they don't. So after Reagan beat Carter, the next two Democrats were Mondale and Dukakis. Even way, further left. Way over yeah. left. And that's what's happening now. After Trump defeated Hillary, the left has taken over the party and has moved it crazily to the left. Why? Well, I think one thing is that people see how, what a good job Trump's doing, and they leave the Democratic primary. Hmm. They don't vote there. So only the crazies are voting in that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty blunt. But, but then if that's the case, you're predicting the Democrats will in fact elect somebody who is f much further to the left than the core of what has been the Democratic Party, which it sounds like you're predicting that that will be their demise. Yeah, absolutely, I think that is happening now, before our eyes. Yeah. I think that, that anyone that can, they can nominate will be unelectable, and anyone who is electable will be unnominatable. Huh. And uh, so, <laughs> is that right? Unnominatable. I think you just invented a new word. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> so you're the best prognosticator of politics I personally know. I prognosticated your victory. Yes, you did. <laughs> I, I stopped being your political consultant and you became my religious consultant. It worked out okay for both of <laughs> yeah, us. We, we both did well. <laughs> Who do you think ends up getting the nomination for the Democrats this this? That's election? the answer to a trivia contest, you know. Okay. <laughs> Who lost to Trump in the second yeah. election? I think, it's, I think at the moment it's... I caught that. I'm not sure the audience really picked up on that. Go ahead. I think at the moment it probably will be Sanders or Harris. Really? Huh. Uh, Harris has done something cool. California moved its primary up to be the fourth primary. Yeah. So you have Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and then California. And nobody else will have the money to compete there right at the start. But yeah. she won't have to because she's from there and will get those votes. But she can't possibly win. She began her political career because Willie Brown, the Speaker of the Assembly, as corrupt as they come, the power in San Francisco was having an affair with her, admitted it, yeah. and put her in his DA, put her in his Attorney General. And, um, and I mean, she, she's gone no place, but I think she may get the nomination or, God help us, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> well, God will need to help us if that's the case, I'm thinking. <laughs> Let me tell you, this book is fantastic, and I hope uh, folks in our audience who want to read a book that is not just stories, but insights into the modern political world. Just at Amazon. It's it, yeah. self-published. Yeah. Amazon, and uh, you can get it there. I want to thank Dick Morris for joining me. The book, Fifty Shades of Politics, thank is you. available on Amazon. And by the way, you want to get his latest columns. He has a delightful video commentary that comes out every single day that you can subscribe to. It's called The Lunch Alert. The Lunch and Alert. And I mail it out to 300,000 people, have lunch with them, and it's free. You just go to dickmorris.com, you sign up, and uh, every day I'll bombard you with my opinions. See, I was <laughs> gonna tell them all that, but now I don't have to. Okay. Dick, great to have you here. Thank you Good for coming. What a pleasure. Yeah. All right, Keith, you tell us what predictions you have about tonight's show. Unnominatable. I just wanted to see if I could say it. Coming up, Juliana Zobrist on the power of self-image, the world's most amazing acrobatic cats, and the musical talents of Lee Greenwood. Huckabee will be right back. My next guest is an author, speaker, fashion muse, and pop singer. Her latest book is called Pull It Off, Removing Your Fears and Putting on Confidence. It's designed to inspire people to ignore all the pressures of culture and to find their true identity. Would you please welcome Juliana Zobris. Juliana, thanks so much for coming tonight. Thank you so much. Great to have you. Hi, everybody. <laughs>
You know, when I think of all the things that you do, that you are, it's hard to keep up with them. I mean, in your <laughs> yes. own right, an author, a speaker, uh, a singer, and then you happen to be married to this guy that plays Major League Baseball and won a World Series as MVP. On your average Monday, yes. Yeah, so, you know, (laughs) what do you do in your spare time that you don't have? (laughs) I know. Yes, well, I mean, what do I do in my spare time? I don't have spare time. I have three kids. You don't have any spare time. No spare time. None at all. (laughs) You play outside. But what you do try to talk about is so many people lack confidence. Mm -hmm. They're unsure of themselves. They feel down on themselves. What's your advice to them? How do they come out of that? Well, I think the first problem that we're fed in our culture right now is this message of fearlessness or not caring what people think. And when you have that as an expectation that there really is an idea of being fearless, well, then what happens when you're afraid? Because all I have to do is turn on the TV and I'm, I'm faced with some insecurity or some fear. And so I think we have to begin to reframe the way that we look at fear as less of something to avoid and actually more of an opportunity. There is a phrase that you have coined that I think is really fascinating. It's don't should on me. <laughs> yes. Don't should on me. What does should mean in that context? Well, it's S-H-O-U-L-D for all of you guys out there. <laughs> yeah, we want to make sure they heard yes, that right. as long as you heard that right. <laughs> Well, you know, culture is inundated with trends and and we all have our own opinions of how you should look and how you should dress and how you should talk and how you should parent and how you should behave in X, Y, and Z. And, you know, for myself, I was traveling with my son with one of my husband, at one of my husband's games and I got on an elevator to go down and meet my husband with my little four month old and this woman began speaking to my son and saying, oh, mommy, I shall really be in bed. (laughs) Like speaking to him and not to me in this very passive aggressive manner. And I went home and I contemplated, maybe I should quit music. Maybe she's right, maybe I should just stop traveling with my husband. Maybe I should put him on a normal routine, whatever that means, and and give him some more stability. And what I realized that she was doing to me, which in turn I began to do on myself, was that she was shooting on me. She was taking her individual preferences and opinions of what a child's uh, schedule should look like and she was placing those expectations on me. So chapter two in the book is called Don't Should on Me. I love that. I think it's one of the (laughs) most original, unique, and frankly, one of the most powerful phrases I've heard because we all allow people to do that to us. They tell us what we ought to think. They tell us what we ought to uh, do, how we ought to behave. Mm -hmm. How how do people find their true self? What, What is for you the key for a person to quit letting everybody else tell them how to live? and find who they really are. Yeah, for me, it comes down to a couple things. Understanding that your worth, your value is intrinsic because God has said that you've been created in his image, in his likeness, that male and female, that we're one before him, that you've been given inherent value and worth. And when you believe that, that is truly the soil that's so rich with uh, opportunity to be able to grow and flourish into the person that God has created you to be. So therefore, what it allows us to do is to not only simply be confident in who we are, but then also to champion the differences and diversity in others. You and your husband are both high profile people. Both of you are in the spotlight. How difficult is it to maintain some semblance of normalcy for yourselves, your kids, when every time you go out somewhere, people want your autograph, they wanna take your picture. How do you deal with that? Just walking in graciousness, Mm. you know, and realizing that we're all put on this earth to share a message of love with others. And so in that respect, it's it's an opportunity to connect with people and to offer some sort of humanizing element between us and them. And that's what I think is so beautiful about, you know, even this book and this message is that it's the the playing field is leveled, you know, that there's so much common ground between us that Again, circumstantially, maybe our lives are very different, but really, we're all human beings with the need, with the same needs and um, the same value and worth. It's a powerful, powerful message. You've done it beautifully, and uh, I hope you'll pick up Juliana's book called Pull It Off, Removing Your Fears and Putting on Confidence. You can find it through online booksellers right now. You can also sign up for her blogs, tweets, and socials at julianazobris.com. That's julianazobris.com. 
And be sure to visit Huckabee.tv to watch the debut of her new song, Becoming. It is a Huckabee online exclusive only on Huckabee.tv. Keith, how are we going to pull off the rest of the show? Oh, you're not going to believe this. Next, the incredible Savitsky Cats perform. Then, the economic power of Poland and Europe. And country music's Lee Greenwood is here. Stay tuned for more on Huckabee. And welcome back. Well, from a physical brawl for a cat's paw to tequila played on a conch shell. I mean, we got the news that'll make you wonder what's it all about, Alfie, on a segment that we call In Case You Missed It. Well, up in snow-covered Minnesota, a concerned citizen called into the Jordan, Minnesota police to report a man with no coat on, standing out in the freezing cold, hugging a pillow. Officers rushed to the scene, only to find a life-side cardboard cutout of my pillow founder, Mike Lindell. <laughs> the police said, hey, it's better to call them out than not. And in the end, they found it was the most comfortable call they'd ever been on. <laughs> Guaranteed. Now, I know Mike. He's been on our show right here. And if he were locked outside in a blizzard with only one thing to help him survive, I am dead certain he'd take one of his pillows. <laughs> he'd say, nothing goes better within the thick blanket of snow than a my pillow. <laughs> and by the way, if you were with him in the cold, no problem. He'd be clutching his classic my pillow but he'd have a second pillow for you, absolutely free. <laughs> I think we're gonna call this one a soft news story. Or either we'll call it a real sleeper. How's that? <laughs> Meanwhile, in Wisconsin, a neighbor's attempted prank turned into a very serious police call. The Muskego police were called to address a suspicious animal spotted on a resident's lawn. It was a man dressed in a panda suit. <laughs> now, when the officers arrived, they discovered a 48-year-old resident in a giant panda costume. <laughs> he said he'd been asked to dog-sit a friend's house and thought it'd be kind of funny to do it dressed up. You know what I love about pandas? They're black, white, and Asian. <laughs> I mean, you can almost hear all of the racist minds exploding right now, right? Well, the man went on to say, and I quote, I knew that my neighbors had a security camera set up, and I thought, well, I'm going to make the ordinary extraordinary. I'm going to dress up in the panda outfit. So just as I was about to pivot and walk up my lawn, I turn around and I see at least three squad cars with a fourth and fifth one coming, end quote. <laughs> Sounds like his prank turned to pure pandemonium. <laughs> And the homeowners where he was supposed to dog sit confirmed that the man was allowed at their home. Now, when the dog was asked his opinion of the panda prank, he just said, rough, rough. I guess the audience will just have to grin and bear it on that. You know, this whole story reminds me of the man who went to the movies and when he sat down, he noticed there was a panda sitting right next to him. Shocked by this, he asked the panda, what are you doing at this movie? And the panda politely replied, well, I like the book. <laughs> I said, I liked the book, the panda said. The panda said that at the movie. That's, Keith, would you explain that to them? They just... I'm trying to understand it myself. I... <laughs> Forget about it, okay. All right, everyone loves cat videos, right? So here's one of those, well, sort of. Okay, it's not exactly a cat video. Those are cat lovers in China brawling over a special cat coffee cup at Starbucks. The cup has a cat's paw design that only appears when you fill it with hot liquid. It's sort of a grande vente kitty. <laughs> this cup is so popular with friends of felines that supplies ran low. Now, whenever a few cups pop up at Starbucks anywhere in China, it turns into weight but the dramatic pause. 
This may be the slowest audience we've had in a while. It turns into a real catfight. And now down to the Florida Keys, we turn to another item. There is a sound that might be mistaken by some for a catfight. Uh, no, that's not Trey Corley tooting his own horn. <laughs> that's the 57th annual conch shell blowing contest in Key West. That's right, they've been listening to that for 57 years. And as you can hear, getting music out of a conch shell is like a dog walking on its hind legs. You don't expect it to be done well, you're just surprised it can be done at all. <laughs> well, this year's top winner in the men's division, David Bat Masterson, honked out the 60s hit, Tequila. And after listening to that all day, I'll bet the judges were desperate for a little tequila. <laughs> now, to be honest with you, I don't drink at all, but I'd probably start if I had to judge that contest. <laughs> And last week, thousands of Italians took to the streets of a lovely village to throw citrus at one another during the annual Battle of the Oranges. Now, I'm not talking about orange soda and some fantasy here. <laughs> These are solid baseball-sized oranges. That's right. And officials from the town of Ivrea brought in more than 500 tons of oranges from Sicily for this event, which is part of the Carnival of Ivrea. So the food fight lasts for three days. And friends, it's got to hurt being hit by an orange. But on the bright side, at least Sicily doesn't send watermelons for them to use. <laughs> now, I don't know how it could be avoided with so much pelting going on, but I hope no one gets hit in the head or the navel. And aren't you glad you heard this story and you heard it right here? Well, just like a North Korean dictator who has overplayed his hand, we've run out of time. But always remember, we read the news. Well, it has been said that my next guests are America's hottest at act after the amazing felines starred on NBC's America's Got Talent. Now, these cats are so cool, even us dog people truly love them. So get ready, cat lovers, and please make welcome Ulya, Chupa, Topa, Asia, Dasha, and Linda, the Savitsky Cats. Here they are.
Let's talk about this for a little while. Uh, Marina, you speak English, but your mother, Svetlana, does not, so you're going to do all the talking. Yes. Now, <laughs> is it true that you are allergic to cats? Yes, so we are allergic to cats, but as soon as we have cats from the childhood, it's not so tragic like it can seems to be. So, it, I mean, it looks like you're getting along with them just fine. We are fine for now, <laughs> and that's good. <laughs> I, I got to ask you how young these cats are when you start training them. Uh, we start training them from childhood. But now they are 13, 12 years old, so they are pretty old. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm amazed. How do you train a cat? I mean, I get it with dogs, but cats, let's face it, they're not normally that compliant. How do you train a cat? It's difficult, but it's possible. <laughs> Obviously it's possible. We saw it here tonight, and it's pretty amazing. An Thank audience, you. even those of you that aren't cat lovers, was this not extraordinary tonight? Now, as a reminder, you can stay in touch and even find out where they're performing live on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Savitsky Cats. Keith, this could have been a catastrophe, <laughs> but instead it was the cat's meow. So I wonder, what can we do to follow acrobatic cats? Achoo! Now, highlights from Mike's trip to Poland, then Lee Greenwood on his incredible life in music and a performance of God Bless the USA. Don't you dare go away. And welcome back. You know, what else was Trey Corley and the Music City Connection going to play coming back in after the uh, acrobatic cats other than what's new, Pussycat? Of course that's what they did. Well, you've heard me talk about the exciting cruise to Northern Europe and the Baltic Sea countries, August 9 through 17. It's going to be an incredible time to relax, have some fun, and learn. My good friend Rick Santorum is going to be joining us as a speaker. And the hilarious Shonda Pierce is going to be on board as well. Now, there are cabins available for the luxury ship, and we got the entire ship to ourselves. So no awkward moments with someone who tells you how much they love socialism and Planned Parenthood. I mean, there's <laughs> something to be said for that. So for all the details and to sign up, visit thegreateststrip.com. That's thegreateststrip.com right there on your screen. Well, I had the honor of traveling to Poland this week, as I said earlier. I was able to sit down with the Prime Minister of Poland and discuss his role in the opposition movement that helped bring down communism, as well as the role of the Christian Church as a light to help the resistance take root and lead Poland to freedom. By the way, Poland has experienced 28 consecutive years of economic growth under capitalism and freedom. Here are a few highlights from my interview with Prime Minister Matuz Morawiecki. Mr. Prime Minister, your own pilgrimage to freedom is a remarkable one. At age 12, you were a part of the Solidarity Movement and uh, paid a pretty heavy price to stand with uh, those who sought for Polish independence and freedom. Tell me about that. Uh, I was uh, very much uh, um, uh, fighting for freedom together with my friends during the 80s. Here in Poland, we were doing everything possible to, f to fight for democracy, freedom, uh, rule of law, and capitalism, free market economy. This was always on, uh, on, on our radar screen, and uh, we were fighting with socialism. This is uh, what Timothy Garton Ash said, who is rather left-wing uh, thinker. Uh, he said, if not John Paul II, uh, uh, the solidarity might have not been uh, might have not started. But the church in general played a huge role here in Poland to keep people's spirits alive and their hopes up. Discuss for us how important the outspokenness of the church in Poland was to help keep people together 
giving them that hope and that hunger for freedom. First, there was Stalinist times, uh, really real totalitarianism, uh, where many of our patriots, tens of thousands of them were, were killed. And, and the, the Catholic Church was completely suppressed by, by, the, by the government, by the communist government. Yet they have never collaborated with the government. Uh, and they were starting to uh, present to the, to the wider public that a new era can come and we should always fi fight for democracy for, uh, and for freedom. During the 80s, nobody was really believing that the freedom could come so soon. Like my father, who was expelled from Poland, was talking to Zbigniew Brzeziński. Uh, and Brzeziński in 1988 said to my father, well, probably there will be a collapse of communism in some 25 years. And we know what happened the next year. And, and thank me. God for the world that it did. Now you sit here <laughs> as the prime minister That's of correct. a free and economically prosperous Poland. Prosperous Poland, yeah. What you know, does what, that feel like? What, what, what gave me the strength during the 80s it was my knowledge of history. Poland was able to change the, the global histories, I, I may say so, uh, during the 20th century three times. First in 1920, when the Bolshevik avalanche came on the, on the whole Europe. Then the second time in 1939, where we have rejected the alliance with Hitler and we, we actually were occupied both by Soviet Union and by Germany. And the third time was the Solidarity Movement. So I was enormously proud of, of this history and I knew about this, what kind of price my predecessors paid for freedom and for sovereignty, independence, democracy. So during the 80s, even if this was not so easy to survive, and yes, I was beaten and uh, this was not at all ple ple pleasant what I have experienced from secret security communist services, uh, communist agents, I was actually strengthened by the, by the experience of my uh, heroes from the past. There are people in America who are thinking, maybe we should try socialism. You guys have been away from it for 30 years. Tell me and tell the American people what they should know about socialism before they embrace it. Well, socialism is a, is a completely inefficient and ineffective system. Uh, you really cannot uh, have a, a command uh, distributing all the goods, deciding who is going to produce what and, and taking uh, the majority of taxes and distributing all this with the uh, wisdom of central distribution. What we've done here, we, have, we brought more solidarity and justice, but not increasing taxes. We have actually decreased uh, taxes. So we were able to actually bring, to, 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 to gather uh, $15 billion more of taxes within a period of two, just two years. Uh, and, and we have lowered taxes. And this is our philosophy. This is what we have done here. Be, beware of socialism. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously working beautifully in Poland. And, it is. Uh, yeah. As a European country, you're the leader economically. Economic growth, yes. There's no one who's even close to you, and I want to say congratulations to Thank that. You. Thank Mr. you. Mr. Prime Minister, it's an honor to be with you. I want to say what a pleasure it is to get a chance to chat with you today. Thank you. Thank you, sir. It was a pleasure to uh, you, you have me here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, our thanks to the Prime Minister of Poland and best wishes as his nation continues to set an example of democracy and economic success for the rest of the world. All right, Keith, uh, we've had some pretty big stuff on the show, so I bet there's something still to come. You better believe it. Coming up, Lee Greenwood joins Mike, followed by an unforgettable performance right here on Huckabee. My next guest has been singing and performing for over 60 years. And he's got over 20 albums, 35 Billboard hits, and more awards than he or anybody else can count. Now, as a songwriter, he wrote his signature hit, God Bless the USA, as an anthem giving all Americans a sense of pride for our country. Would you please make welcome the one and only Lee Greenwood.
this audience absolutely loves themselves some Lee yeah. Greenwood. <laughs> Thank you. You know, and I can understand why. You have brought a sense of patriotism and pride to so many Americans. Uh, not a political thing, but just a, a love of country. Well, you know, I love the country. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm a farmer from Sacramento, California. And um, I was uh, taught some early lessons by my grandparents who raised me. Yeah. And uh, about taking care of your neighbor and do what's right. You know, your handshake is your word and those kind of things. I'm very familiar probably from Arkansas. Yeah. I just when I... Uh, I spent a lot of years in Nevada. I don't know if you know that. I was 20 years there. I was actually a dealer in the casinos as well as a musician, writer, and I played in all of the uh, shows. I worked with the Rat Pack and, uh, you know, the, the famous people of Vegas years. And, but when I moved to Tennessee, it was a whole different thing. And, and I never lost that feeling inside my head that, um, in addition to the country music course that I sang and I fit into the Nashville community after so many years in the West Coast, and started touring around the, and seeing what a beautiful country it was because I had never left really the uh, the West Coast. Yeah. Coming to Nashville then and touring as an artist and then suddenly I was thrown in this place where you get adoration all the time. But when I wrote God Bless the USA, it was only one of I think maybe two dozen songs I'd written in my bus while I was touring. I was going to ask the story is you wrote it on the back of your tour bus. Is that true? Yeah, that's right. And, and I actually had them install when I got my, I finally got my own bus. <laughs> I didn't have to lease one. We had a travel craft full in the trailer and we stayed at 1311 Elm Hill Pike and somebody broke the antenna off my trailer. I said, I got to move, you know. So we finally moved to a place where I could protect it. And then we leased a bus for a while. And then I bought a bus and we bought two buses and then three and two tractor trailers, production company. We got up to speed. But I said, I, in order to keep my mind on my music, I need to have a piano. I'm a piano player and a sax player. And by the way, that guy's fabulous on the Thank saxophone. Thank you. TJ? There you go. It ain't so, bad when Lee Greenwood thinks you're good. So I want to come back. I want to come back and bring my saxophone and play with the band. Can I do that one night? Absolutely. Okay. So Aren't I, they terrific? So I, oh, yeah. They're all great. So I had my piano in, in, in a hinge on the edge of the uh, a stateroom where it was kind of tight where you have your bed where you sleep. And I would pull it up and sit it on my knees after we'd have a show and plug in my headphones so I wouldn't disturb the crew. And uh, so I, I wrote all my songs like that. And USA was interesting. It was a little different than the rest, but I have a 20-song CD coming out uh, later this year. All of my original songs that um, I will have re-recorded, some that have been recorded prior, but a lot that I wrote in the bus. I can't wait to get that CD because it's coming out, what, in uh, November of this November. year? November. Mm -hmm. Well, when you get it out, maybe that'd be a great time for you to come back and let's plug the daylights out of it. Because people you know, are going to want to get that CD with 20 songs that you wrote. You know, Governor, I have an idea. Okay. I don't have a title yet for the CD. Uh-huh. What if we make it a contest with your audience? Ooh, I like that. And go to, go to my website, LeeGreenwood.com, and you uh, submit titles for the CD. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, and I could call it Lee Greenwood Original Music, but that's like, whatever, you know. These guys can do better. Uh, I, bet you know, I, I bet they can. And the, the people watching at home, they get a shot at it, too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go ahead and compete with the rest of them. So the title, oh, you will? Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so the title I choose will bring the person on the show. I love it. Yeah, and yeah. I'll have them a guest at the Opry with me when I play the Opry. So the Done. Okay. That is an awesome idea. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, when you do that song, because you've done it thousands of times, is it old to you? I mean, because everybody wants you to do it, but do you still get a little bit of a chill down your spine when you do that song and the audience just goes nuts? Yes. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. I think that's awesome that you do. Um, and not I have other songs, of course, that I sing that I've written and, and other songs I haven't written that I, that I know of the audiences that they love because they yeah. bought an awful lot of records, so I know yeah. they're fans somewhere. Um, but uh, it depends, I think, on who's in the audience, particularly on our DOD USO tours, if I'm on an aircraft carrier or an, or an air base or an army base, um, or, or just a, a, a large fan base that a lot, just wonderful Americans who love the country. And, and it's, it becomes very obvious the moment that, that the song begins, you know, that they are loving um, my tribute to, the, to our country. It still touches me every time. It, it's one of those songs you just have to believe is inspired and anointed. Uh, it, it's like God gave you that song to encourage America. And, and you know, I think about that, but I mean, you've had 35 billboard chart busting songs. You've had lots of number one songs. So it's not like you've had a one, you're not a one hit wonder for heaven's sakes. You've done dozens of things that have hit the top of the mm -hmm. charts. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the one that, that 
first and foremost come to mind when they think about Lee Greenwood. Well, God bless USA, or if you want to call it Proud to be American, because I have a children's illustrated book called that, Proud to be an American, which is kind of the story of, of how I got started and, and, and a little boy who loves the country. I, uh, of all the songs that I've written and, and, and sang on stage, there is a little special meaning to that, and I believe you're right. And I've said that same thing that you said, mm. I believe God gave me that song. I, I truly do, and I think every American who hears it believes it. And by the way, we're excited to know that we're coming back with Lee Greenwood in November when his brand new CD of 20 songs comes out. Uh, by the way, Lee Greenwood is going to sing for you in just a minute. So Keith, why don't you tell the folks at home how they can stay in touch with Lee and help him pick out a name for this CD. I think that's cool. Thank you. That is so exciting. For all things Lee Greenwood, including concerts, music, and his patriotic red, white, and blue Caribbean cruise, please go to LeeGreenwood.com. And don't miss Lee Greenwood as he performs God Bless the USA. Huckabee will be back in 60 seconds. Exclusive performance of Lee Greenwood singing Ain't No Trick. Go to Huckabee.tv. Now returning to the stage to sing God Bless the USA, Lee Greenwood. Thank you very much, Governor Huckabee. I dedicate this to all of our veterans, not just in this audience, but in your TV audience as well, who has served this country. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Thank my lucky stars to be living here today, because the flag still stands for freedom, and they can't take that away. And I won't forget the men who died Who gave that right to me And I gladly stand up next to you And defend her still today Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas From sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston New York to L.A. There's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say There ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Oh, and I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who There ain't no doubt I love this land God bless 